Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 42, DeSantis Transfers Migrants. Ron DeSantis has transferred migrants from Florida to Massachusetts, sending a strong message to Governor Charlie Baker. What should be done about immigration reform? And I see we already have callers lined up here. And looks like the first caller is Brady. So I'm going to go ahead and put him on the mic. What's up, Sabrina Arena? <clears throat> I just want to call in and give you a heads up. Um, Alex Jones's henchmen have just made it to call in. They, they got your number. They're coming for us. So get your what? facts ready, your notes straight. And um, <laughs> I had another point I was going to bring up, and I totally lost it. Oh, yeah. We were talking about the other day uh, reaching across to the alt-right and to Donald worshipers, these people who think so differently than, than us. And I was mentioning how important I thought that was for us to do as the left. There's a lot of people pushing back on that, saying, no, we need to be talking to libertarians, people in the middle, yada, yada. We're wasting our time by talking to these brainwashed lunatics. And I would offer that um, I've made a lot of progress talking to them and even friendships talking to these guys. We had a good conversation today when they jumped into Colin. And I'm really excited to see what happens when we start having some conversations with people outside of our own kind of comfort zone. And I just want to give you a heads up. Be ready for that, Sabrina. Get your notes and your facts straight. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I have friends that that voted for Trump, too. Like um, <laughs> some people might find this surprising, but not all of my friends are leftists. <laughs> some of them are Trump supporters. Some of them um, are Republican, but they don't like Donald Trump. And then there's some of them that are libertarian, actually very few that are libertarian though, by the way. But, um, but, and then I have friends that just don't care about politics at all. They're just like, it's a waste of time. They don't see the point in it. Um, but yeah, so I think it's important to have those conversations. Um, I know like recently, we were just actually just talking about the whole MAGA communism thing that Jackson Hinkle's proposing. And I think my disagreement with that is that once you put the word communism next to it, I don't think MAGA supporters are going to be in favor of, of that. And I think sure. that's where there may be difficulty. Um, Interesting but, conversation to have, though, like the, the debate between Zizek and Jordan Peterson. I had a, I had a blast um, during that one. And I'm looking for really? conversations like that between the Marxists and the Alex Jones people. You know, I think that's going to be a great conversation. And I just wanted to add, Sabrina, that it sounds like you're a little far away from your microphone. I have my volume all the way up on my end. I don't know if the people in the audience are able to hear you at 100 percent, but it sounds oh, like you're kind you... of muffled or far away. I was walking. Can you hear me now? I can still hear you, but it's at the same level. That's weird. Um, just hold on. Let's see. It could just be me. Who knows? But anybody in the audience feel like Sabrina's a little more quiet than usual? Listen, we're getting fire, so I don't know. Hmm, that's weird. Yeah, um, everyone else says you're coming in fine, so it's just me on okay. my end. I apologize. I'm, that's I'm all I wanted to say, cause... Sabrina, is I appreciate you. Stay sharp, and I'll pass the mic. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brady. Yeah, you guys, I'm never sure because this app sometimes can be a little a little odd. <laughs> um, 
Okay, we have William on uh, coming in next. Uh, William, what is your take on all of this? Hey, Asabi, can you hear me? I can hear you just great. Good. Well, a personal story, I used to work in Southern California in construction and uh, Escondido, San Diego area, Santa Barbara. Uh, and I, I want to say first, and the hardest people I work with were coming across the border every day for work. And um, good, hardworking people uh, who I respected. I worked my way up from a labor to an equipment operator and even on up to federal Superfund sites. And, I, and there was always a foreman on the team that had um, a connection, uh, call it a pipeline, to bring guys up from across the border who everybody knew had fake papers. So they were working for American-owned companies. You know what I'm saying? And um, I didn't didn't bother me at all. As far as I was concerned, they're real hard-working guys and good people. That's all that mattered to me. You know what I mean? Um, but this was common. Um, I was in that area between for 23 years altogether in San Diego, Santa Barbara area. Started in Santa Barbara area, worked my way down to San Diego. So, uh, I, I, the way I see things is, uh, it really ticks me off when I hear Trump or anybody referred to asshole countries because of it's our imperialism. Um, that made it that way for them. You follow me? And so as far as immigration is where I'm going with it, uh, it's an intentional uh, uh, system where to keep the wages low. When I worked in the Southern California area on what are called prevailing wage jobs, which could be non-union jobs that get paid prevailing wage, the San Diego area for my line of work, level two heavy equipment operator was 33. Northern Cal was 53. Labor, uh, well, depending on you know what company you were working for, it could be 12. And uh, at that time, and I'm talking about early 2000s, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, you up north, you could be getting 20 odd dollars an hour especially on federal Superfund sites. So um, it, it upsets me that we don't have a system. What happens then is, let me go back to the Southern Cal. You have foremen who wouldn't give you your, your required uh, breaks, you know, according to labor laws. And I would speak up and get laid off. And guys who, were, who worked in that area, this happened several times, who were former union because the union was so weak, got so weakened. They say, shh, shh, quiet, don't, don't, don't speak up. You're, you're going to get fired. I said, oh, the hell with it. I'll find another place to work then because I'm not going to stand with this. And if I'm on the tractor in the air conditioner. You know what I mean? These guys are on the ground. Someone's got to speak up. And I always got laid off whenever I did. But it was, you know, it was easy for me to get another job. I, I just, I see things through that lens. And I, I think it's our American companies are predatory, as usual. And I, I think it's uh, wrong. It's egregious. So 
I can relate that story as far. I wanted to ask you. Uh, well, first, hold on. I'm sorry. What else did you talk? Oh, Richard Wolf. Thank you so much for talking about, you know, what a wage earner would have to make to have not just minimum wage, like 30 odd dollars an hour, but have you know, a reasonable living wage at 40, a single wage earner. Yes. And you and I talked about this in the past, about the housing going up since like the 60s, where my parents bought the house for $16,000 here in Trumbull and sold it in 2007 for almost 480000 which is a 3,000% increase. And obviously, it's nice to hear Richard Wolf finally putting, you know, because, of course, the um, CPI, Consumer Price Index, does not include housing, right? I think they eliminated C the housing and the CPI, if I'm not mistaken, in the early 90s, or used to. And so, uh, you know, uh, kudos to Richard Wolf, and this is what we're all struggling with, you know. Um, I'm disabled now, uh, not due to construction work, but football. I should have listened to my grandmother. She used to say, play, play, Billy, but play piano. Didn't listen to her. <laughs> Wish I had. So um, that I'm not um, on the tractor anymore or doing anything like that. But um, you also, let's see, I thought what Ron DeSantis is doing, I don't like the idea of using people as pawns, obviously. If the issue needs to be addressed, he should address it diplomatically, take to the airwaves, try and put pressure that way through po politics. But I don't, uh, to me, that's, it's just more of the same exploitation. You know, I don't know what those people did, how they got back to places where they can stay, because I understand what you're saying about um, Martha's Vineyard. So um, let's see, I'm just looking at notes. You you mentioned uh, the baseball players. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know what else to say. Other, it's total exploitation. Uh, certainly, big league baseball needs a farm system to bring the players up. And they make big money in big league ball. Why are they not supporting their minor league teams? You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they all have feeder teams. And they should be supporting the minor league teams from the, you know, advertising ticket sales from the big leagues. To, so these guys come up in a situation where in the process they uh, – are making a, a living wage and are not exploited. So, um, absolutely, it, it, isn't it amazing? You can have a entertainment, but uh, what whatever you want to call it, uh, business. That <laughs> it's typical American uh, capitalism. What can I say about that? Um, yeah. Let's see, right? So, regarding uh, Julian Assange, obviously, whew, man. This isn't the his the his the key witness against him was a young fellow who finally admitted he lied. Did that you follow did you follow that story? I'm trying to remember the cobwebs dust off the Julian Assange stuff I've read. But the key person who testified against him that had something to do with this uh, Julian and what was supposed to be something between Chelsea and Manning uh, was it turned out he finally admitted he he lied about all that? Do you recall what I'm about that? Anything, Sabs? I don't remember that. Yeah, maybe but I, someone, I, I'd have to look into it. Yeah, maybe someone in the chat could help us. I, again, you know, I joke. I'm just a meathead construction worker who's got too much time on his hands now. 
you know, I'm trying to get caught up with everything, keep my mind busy, and uh, unlearn all the crap I learned in, in watching the TV and in high school, you know, and, and, and just, I was always mainstream media guy. But now, I was too busy to be entertaining anything else. Do you follow me? Uh, didn't even, wasn't, but now I have time, and I'm really grateful for your show, and like Jimmy Dore, I may have differences with particular shows, but just to be exposed to, you know, um, Max Blumenthal and Gray Zone and Aaron Maté, the whole crew, you know what I mean? It's so very enriching and you get learn more about what's really happening. I really appreciate everything. The, the, um, the, the thing I wanted to ask you, you, last time I was on the phone, you mentioned a panel that you did with um, uh, Convo, Couch, uh, uh, what's her name? There's pasta and fer, fella, fer, I'm Fiorella. Fiorella. And I recently looked for that when I, I said, geez, you know, I, I remember you mentioned I should watch that. And I went back on your YouTube and I, I didn't see it. Did I miss it? Or was it taken down, that one you put up? Do you know anything about that? It's on RBN. I'll put the link in the chat. Oh, okay. I was looking YouTube. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. And if can I comment briefly on the transhumanism issue you talked about this week? Well, sure. Let me just say something really quick in reference to the yeah. immigration thing. Um, yeah. Before I forget, uh, I I know. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this to you guys, but when I was waiting tables at Outback. I mean, we had like undocumented workers that worked in the kitchen. Um, some were cooks and some were dishwashers. And it was one of those things like we all knew, but it was just kind of like we all knew not to say anything. It just it was one of those things like we knew that they were undocumented. Um, but I mean, it was just I, I don't think people had a problem with it. I didn't gather that, that people had a problem with it, you know. Oh, well, I worked in the, as a bartender uh, before I got into construction. And yeah, we knew. And it, again, uh, I just respect people for who they are. You know what I mean? How hard they're working and how we treat one another. So no, I never had a problem with it, um, either in the restaurant business or on the construction site. Um, and the great sense of humor. And I respected how hard these fellows worked and uh, knew they were trying to send money back to help you know, uh, with a sometimes dire situations back, you know, across the border. So, um, totally. Um, regarding the transhumanism, blah, 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 transhumanism, got tongue-tied there a minute, issue, uh, I, World Economic Forum, Dr. Evil, Klaus Schwab, and Yuval Harari, his, his menacing sidekick. Boy, I'll tell you what, listening to Yuval talk about transhumanism is very... Uh, what's the right word, draconian, it, it spanks to me of, and I know uh, uh, some people may not relate, but it spanks to me of the mark of the beast. I, it, it irks me. Um, the idea that we're going to be somehow transformed into a higher being that God couldn't do through natural evolution is somehow praised. We're going to have these chips or these microchip things where they can do this, that, and I, you know, look, if it can help someone heal a back injury and whatnot, I, I understand, but it always leads, well, look what they did to the truckers in Canada, how they're able to shut down their bank accounts. Once right. That should over, be illegal. Right. That should be illegal. You shouldn't be able to touch like 
people's bank accounts. Oh my god! Because they're protesting, you know. Oh yeah, this is that they'll what 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 do we have a democracy where that can possibly even happen? And then of course you you hear of China, the social credit score issues, and how people who wanted to go and protest bank closure uh, suddenly the they get a red flag uh, due to their COVID, you know. Um, what do you call the, the zero tolerance? And all of a sudden, they couldn't travel. It's just coincidentally, you know what I mean? And they couldn't attend the protest. And so that total control is not something I want in my life. Uh, so I, I don't intend to play with that at all. Um, yeah, it sounds a little scary based on what I read, you know? Yeah, well, I... I <laughs> Listening is believing. Um, if you have time, I highly suggest uh, consider and anyone listening to listen to Yaval Harari. You can find him on YouTube, his talks, and certainly on other alternative platforms regarding the World Economic Forum and transhumanism. And it is, uh, I think, uh, you, you, I won't say anything more about it. Uh, anyone listening and will interpret it you know, through their filters and how they see it, but that's how I see it. Last thing I'd like to mention quickly, uh, Brady, I know, and I don't know what he's getting at regarding Alex Jones, um, but uh, some simple observations, just observations that are very unusual about what's going on. I, I fought as a pro se litigant in the courts, uh, probate, housing, family, civil, and eventually criminal, where I was illegally arrested four times, exposing corruption and countersuing people from banksters to uh, law firms. And, and one needs to be objective when looking at something and remove the emotion. The AJ uh, civil trials right now, a couple statutes of interest, I say, one should be thinking about why. The statute of limitations on time elapsed from time of incident to damages, including defamation, in Texas is two years. That's on the books that goes through the legislature. Now, the Sandy Hook shooting took place almost 10 years ago. The statute of limitations in Connecticut for damages is two to three years for defamation two, because there's compensatory damages and defamation. You have two categories, but they're very short statutes of limitation. And those are made in the legislature. So it's very odd to witness this and why now? I don't know, I'm just asking questions and making an observation and I'm perplexed. The other thing is the statute of limitations in Texas for defamation on a dollar amount is $750,000. So when you see the AJ uh, jury decision, uh, a total of 49 point, I think it was three, maybe 49.5 million, four point odd percent of that is compensatory and the rest is defamation. Some 45 million, 45 point, whatever it was, two or three mil. But the statute of limitations, which is on the books, which anyone can look at, is $750,000. And you can fact check that. That's, that's just what's on the books. It's perplexing. 
And I don't have answers for it. I'm just noting it and saying, what is going on there? And so these are things I've mentioned. I do call-ins to, uh, and I talk, uh, you know, to much smaller platforms than yours, of course, and the call-in shows can go on for long periods. And I started doing my own in the people's corner. This is, I've done two now. And I talk about this and I simply ask, what is happening here? You know, I mean, one can file a statute of limitation waiver on time, but there has to be extenuating circumstances. And for it to be fourfold, the statute is perplexing. I don't have answers. I'm just observing and asking questions. So I don't know if that can, I'm not an, pro, con, anything in this situation. I'm just observing. And I know it would be, be a curveball for you to hear this, so I'm not expecting a response, but certainly I'm open to responses and from anybody to try and bring understanding to this, which is just completely perplexing. If I tried to bring a damage suit now that was, uh, say, seven and a half years beyond statute, the judge would most likely throw it out said saying I have no jurisdiction because I'm so far beyond the statute. If it was within a year and I had been in the hospital or had some extenuating circumstance, they may entertain it. But when you get into this breadth of time, it's very unusual. And I don't, I wonder why the attorneys for the family didn't act sooner Certainly, they could have litigated. The families wouldn't even have to show up. Do you follow me? Uh, to bring damages uh, in civil, they're they're not required to testify. That, you know what I mean? They're not on a civil trial. Alex Jones was. Do you follow me? Uh, they're the plaintiffs. So, very perplexing, you know. And some people right away when they hear me say that, react emotionally. Oh God, here he's a kook, you know. AJ Cook, I'm like, that's not what I'm saying, you know? So I don't have any, haven't gotten into any heated discussions with anyone about it, but um, I'm, I always try and be open, examine the facts and ask questions. And that's what it is to be in a free democracy and then get some responses, have some healthy debate and, and get, try and get some understanding. I'm not gonna be able to contact the judge who should have instructed the jury before they went into deliberations on these matters. And I don't even understand how they're having hearings at all, given the statute of limitations on that, on time. Uh, a, a judge can issue a statute of limitation waiver, but as I said, that for it to go this far in advance, uh, uh, we're looking at, uh, let's see, uh, eight, almost eight years beyond the statute. You know, we're a total of almost 10 years from Sandy Hook. So. Anyway, I won't belabor that point because I know it kept probably catching you off guard and it's hard for you to respond, but maybe next time uh, it's something to explore. So I really appreciate you taking the call and uh, look forward to talking again, Sabi. Definitely. Thanks so much for calling in, William. You're welcome. Good night. Good night. All right. We're going to go on to Eric. Um... Eric B, actually, because there's two Eric's here in the queue. Hey, Savvy. Hello. Greetings. Hey. hey, greetings there. Hey, nice to talk to you. Hey, I, you know, I wanted to first start by saying, you know, salute to you for uh, your appearance on the Hill and dismantling AOC's 
uh, you know, what she says versus what she actually has accomplished and kind of contrasting her mindset of victimhood to the reality of the power that she actually has. And I thought she did a great job, very matter of fact, very somber way of uh, communicating on that show. I didn't get to watch it live, but I got to see it on CJ's uh, show a, a few days ago after you, you did the, the your appearance on that show. And I just thought it was really great. And I thought that anyone who had not seen you before would get a taste of RBN and another way of, of really seeing things for what they really are. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you so much, Eric. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, as far as the immigration piece or the question for tonight's uh, calling, you know, the, the specifically in Central and South America, I can speak uh, to some effect because I, I come from there originally, is all of this is driven by U.S. empire policies. You know, for the past 50, 70, it could go as far as back as maybe 80 to 100 years, uh, the policies of U.S. corporations have affected how countries in in the global south but specifically here in our own continent in central and south america the way they sort of evolve comes out of the u.s agenda and so what ends up happening in all the countries you know from mexico down to the tip of south america to argentina all of them are impacted in the way that if they don't do what the u.s agenda is driving towards, if they do anything that deviates from that agenda, they attack them, they go after them, they uh, diminish their governments, their leaders, and just, in a sense, destroy any way for them to move upward uh, so they wouldn't have to come here. Uh, and, you know, a lot of folks, even me when I, was, when I was younger, I didn't realize that. I didn't understand how it all connected. But now, you know, living a little bit, I could see how you looking back to connect the dots, policy after policy that the U.S. government puts forth, it affects them. And, and eventually they end up wanting to come over here. I'll give you an example that's really quick to, uh, to put it in a nutshell for people. In 2021, over 26,000 people died in Mexico because of the drug war, because of the cartels. Majority of those drugs end up here in the U.S., Think about that. Over 26,000 people, that includes women and children, killed because of the drugs that come here. And we're, you don't hear none of that in the news. You never hear that over 26,000 people were killed in Mexico just a year ago. You'll never hear that. And yet, we're over there in Ukraine where less people died than that. And we went and, and sent how many billions of dollars to them. Uh, and then there's a great deal of corruption, right. too. Right. There's a great deal of corruption. So the countries themselves have to do more for themselves, too. But they're in a catch 22 because they can't get out of what the U.S. wants them to do with what they really need to do. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, one of my students was actually from Venezuela. And he was here getting a Ph.D. This is when I was still at MIT. And he told me some stories about Venezuela. And I just thought to myself, like, good Lord. And he's like, I have no desire to go back home. It's what he told me. But one of the things that he, he told me was that in Venezuela, he did not feel safe driving a car. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, 
because you can get carjacked at any time. Yeah, that's right. It, and it's it's like that from Mexico down in the majority of the countries. I think only in Central America, the only country that's somewhat stable is Costa Rica. They're probably the safest right. country in, in, in Central America. Mexico. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Savvy. Oh, I was just going to say I have a student from Costa Rica, too. <laughs> um, yeah, and they said the same thing. Um, but Costa Rica, I don't think, has a military either. No, they don't. They they did it right. You know, they stayed sort of neutral and they stayed focused on their environment and education. So they never have had any problems, really, because they focused on those two things, education and their environment. They put all their resources post that's yep go on a nice vacation or they want to be safe they go to costa rica <laughs> uh yes but you know having said all that you know having uh having said all of that mexico has a, a huge population they have which means they have resources in terms of people they have, uh, they can grow almost any kind of food they want. Uh, they have oil, which means they have their own energy resources that they can uh, apply to use for their own people. So think about that. They have people resources. They have food resources. They have a ton of land and they have oil. How is it that they can get out of poverty with all these things that they currently have? I mean, they have literally everything that they would need internally to succeed. And yet they, they can't do it. So, so there's something else going on in Mexico that does not allow them to get out of their own way. And also, which is partly the U.S. and, of course, all the drugs uh, that are that, you know, that are infect, in, infesting, you know, their whole government, uh, so to speak. But just, it, you know, think about that. How is it? Many of these countries have the resources to get out of their own, you know, problems and they can't. And, it's, and a, a large part of it is because yep. of the U.S. Yeah, um, I actually, I used to be, I used to be a part of this um, meetup group, like meetups pretty big here in Boston. Um, but I was a part of this meetup group and it was for people who were new to Boston. And one of the guys in that group was from Mexico. And he told us that in Mexico, if you are born poor, you stay poor. He said, yep. if you're, you're born working class, you stay working class. There's no such thing as like a welfare system. There's nothing that is there to help you. So the government, there's no such thing as like food stamps or anything no. like that. There's no assistance. So he said, if you're born wealthy, you stay wealthy. If you're born poor, you most poor. of the time you pretty much die poor unless yeah. you join the cartel. That's right. That's right. So, um, it's very difficult for these people to get out of their, you know, the, the state they're in and the government doesn't change because if they try to really change it, like if they, if they, they were to nationalize the oil, if they were nationalize other uh, utilities or their food that they grow, the U S would immediately go after them. Immediately. We would go after them just like we do Venezuela. But as long as they don't do that, they they can have all the drugs running through the country and making their way over here. And we will not do it. Our government will not do anything to them at all. We do not care for their lives. I mean, our government does not care for their lives. You know, and remember, I just mentioned over 26,000 people murdered in one year. 
then the other thing I wanted to mention to you was Ron DeSantis. You know, his origins are from uh, you're, you're, he's he comes from a family that I believe they're they're Italian descent. The the Italians were viewed as uh, some of the worst immigrants during the times that they started to come to America. They were not viewed in a good light. And and I always take offense when people who are who also immigrated to to the U.S. and don't think back to their own roots when they, you know, when others are coming here, they need to look to themselves first and have some empathy. Uh, and and I think if we did that more often, it would be a much better place for all of us. Um, you know, your previous caller mentioned about how hardworking the majority of immigrants are. And that's true for all immigrants, you know, regardless of where they come from. The majority of them yeah. come here to do something good on behalf of America. We we can't forget that. There's virtually nobody, except for the the the, the you know the Native Americans who were actually already here. Everyone else has come from another place. That's um, right. You know. So and then also Ron DeSantis. You know, this guy graduated from Yale and then he went on to Harvard. These two institutions seem to have a lot of the politicians that hold over the power over the majority of the U.S. population. And I know you worked, you know, in, in, in Boston, in some of these higher ed education uh, school systems. But, but it's sad that, you know, these schools that are supposed to be the best, they seem to mm-hmm. uh, give, give genesis to the worst people that keep all of us in, in the systems that, don't allow us to be better, you know. Uh, and, and I don't know. Well, Harvard University. You know. Go ahead, Savvy. Well, yeah. Well, well, Harvard University, uh, back in the day, practiced eugenics. It's not talked about, but you can look it up. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of issues with that. Uh, a lot of our politicians, not just. The politicians in in Congress, but also local politicians. A lot of our p- politicians come from those schools: Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Princeton, mm-hmm. the Ivies. Like a lot of them come from those institutions, and I think that's another thing that needs to change. I would yeah. like to see. I would like to see more politicians with just a high school degree. Like, why do you have to have a law degree to become a politician? Like, you technically, you really don't. No, you don't. You really don't. Like, because look at someone like Cori Bush. Cori Bush doesn't have a law degree. Like, but I think that that's been going on for a long time. And that's kind of like the golden standard is like, if you look at a lot of our presidents, if you look at a lot of our, our former congressmen and women, where did they go to school? A lot of them went to these elite academic institutions. And that's yeah. a big part of the problem. If I remember correctly, I think Joe Biden is what? The first president that went yeah. to a state school? Yep. Yeah. That's Isn't right. that crazy? Yeah, that that is correct. That is correct. Uh, and and lastly, you know, the last point I wanted to talk today about was Misty, and I just wanted to thank her for highlighting and continuing the work on getting Julian Assange to bringing more focus to him. And I'm hoping that more people will either hashtag Joe Rogan, hashtag you know anyone who's got a loud enough platform that could bring more eyes and ears to to this injustice that this guy has been dealing with. He truly is a hero of the world. Um, and I don't think he gets the, the, you know, there's people, I mean, there's certainly millions of people in the world that definitely see him that way. I believe that. 
It's just the status quo. And primarily the media all over the world has vilified this guy uh, who's really a hero, you know, independent of whether he's, a, you know, like he is a good guy or not. But what he's done for the for the world is that of a hero. You know, what he's done bringing light to the things that he's uh, Wiki, uh, WikiLeaks did. That's very noble. And uh, none of it has been wrong. No one w was hurt by what he brought to light. Uh, it's actually the things that he showed uh, displaying, you know, the U.S. killing people. But he himself did not hurt anybody by doing what he did. Uh, and, and he's, you know, you could see the guy's been diminishing over, over the last 10 years. Uh, he looks like a, like a little, I mean, he just, he looks really bad, you know. And so... I'm hoping that more eyes and that maybe somebody with, with a big platform could come out and, and speak about this more. That's all I have, Savvy. I just wanted to say thank you and keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Eric. Yes, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Julian Assange should be looked at as a hero. And, and I agree with that. And I think that I would really love to see either Joe Rogan or Russell Brand like really highlight this a lot. Like, you know, if, if not talking to Misty, if it's Roger Waters or someone that's really involved in the activism around Julian Assange, I would really like to see that. I think that would be great. Um, the problem is I think reaching those people, cause I think I tried to find contact info for Russell Brand before. Um, I don't, I don't think I tried to find it for Joe Rogan, but I, I know I tried to find contact info for Russell Brand before and I had some difficulty. So um, but yeah, it would be really good to, for someone, people with a platform that large to really highlight that. That would be great. But thank you so much, Eric, for calling in. I'm now going to go to the next Eric. <laughs> Eric and Eric's tonight. All right, Eric number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy. What will I do with Ron? <laughs> so, I mean, hey, this I is can, your state. I mean... I teach here, <laughs> so, so my anger with him is that it is is obviously from there, but this jackass. I mean, you're clearly at this point. If you haven't made it obvious, you you plan on running for president, and bro, the, the, like stuff like this, and, and you said people, and you said somehow he did this without people knowing. Like, how the fuck does that happen? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. Like, how do people not even know that this was happening? Yeah. You just rounded people up and put them on a private plane? Yeah, I'm like, bro, who who did you, whose hands did you shake? Whose ears did you whisper into? Like, bro. But about, like, Im about immigration reform, it's like, well, we could start by not, you know, destabilizing other countries, you know. We could start by leaving people alone, you know. We could start by doing really basic stuff like that. That's right. I, yeah. I always think it's important for people to ask, why are they coming here to begin with, you know? And for the people, you know, I, I know some people say, like, well, hey, look, I did it the right way. I came here legally. Yeah, but... You know, our immigration laws have become more strict since then. 
it's harder and harder. And I know this because even getting students to come here on a student visa, it's been incredibly difficult in the past couple of years, depending on what country they're coming from. We've had difficulty getting students from Iran and Iraq coming here, students now coming here, uh, sometimes wondering if they would even make it in time for the start of the semester. Same thing with students coming from Venezuela. It's been incredibly difficult. Uh, so it's just, you can do all the right things and do it the right way and still run into these these issues because our immigration system is so horrible. Yeah. It, we have so many... We, we look stupid in front of the entire national community. No doubt. And... Not even just on like immigration, on healthcare, on like other important shit. And uh, it's just, I'm also like, because now something like this adds to my anger to Ron. Like I said already, teaching here, like, you literally tried to turn students against us. You effectively turn parents against us. That's true. I mean, how do you feel about him using taxpayer money for this? I'm beyond pissed about that. I'm like, if you're going to do some slick ass shit, like, first of all, you shouldn't do this shit anyway. But if you're going to do some crazy ass shit like this, use your money. Mm. I mean, I was, we were just talking about this the other day about rent going up in Florida, in places like Florida? <sighs> yeah. It, and especially in my city, they're building luxury apartments. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. I'm like, like no, don't, like... <sighs> this is such an embarrassment. Like, we have plenty of housing and plenty of space. And you choose to do stuff with luxury stuff you know pricing pricing people out here's the other thing too i want people to realize i don't think people well maybe some people know if the united states government were to say okay everybody who is undocumented here we're sending them home do you know what that would do to the labor market in the United States. I don't think people realize just how many people working here are undocumented. Damn. And they're doing jobs. They're doing jobs Americans don't want to do. That would destroy us. I don't think people realize. I'm, I'm telling you guys, like I worked in restaurants and there were people that worked back in the kitchen that were cooks or that were dishwashers and they were undocumented. I mean, that that goes back, like, with people not realizing that, like, that goes back to, again, having a very undereducated, a dangerously undereducated country. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it's back to, like, the, the, um, the breakdown and, like, the relationships amongst us as teachers, like, at this point, I'm just like, look, I really don't want to talk to too many parents. I'm like, bro, you put me in a situation, I don't want to talk to parents now. Because for all, no. yeah, for all I know, these, these, I'm in, again, I'm in Florida. The, you got Karen Bot 5000 running around and shit. I'm like, 
and I, and I do feel bad for any, any of the history teachers that want to be real about stuff. Because you know they can't be real about shit. And it's like, it's like if you were to say anything like quote-unquote controversial, what the fuck that means, um, then it's like, oh, you're, you're engaging in CRT. Uh, come again. God damn it, our country's a damn joke. Shit. I don't know, but I will say, like, sending people to different states isn't going to fix the problem. Yeah. It... Like, I really like, think this was, like, a political move. And, I mean, like I said, like, people, all these people that are saying, like, oh, kick them out, get them out of here. Like, okay, especially the rich people. Because who's going to do your landscaping? Who's going to clean your house? Who's going to do a lot of the farming? These are a lot of the things that a lot of the jobs and labor that happens in this country that, like I said, a lot of Americans don't want to do. Who's going to do all those things? That this is a clear, that's a clear like contradiction in capitalism too. Yep. Yeah, it's just like okay, well, we need the labor to generate the profit. Okay, but fuck the labor. <laughs> mm-hmm. What? What? <laughs> we can do better than this. But Eric Kamala Harris said the border is secure. <laughs> Enough. In other news, Kamala Harris. <laughs> God damn. This, I mean, calling this woman a joke is an insult to jokes. I mean, <laughs> th- th- I mean, come on. How are you so bad at... I've never seen someone this bad... Uh, outside Donald Trump. I've never seen someone this bad at something. Like... Dude, damn. <laughs> this bad? She seemed more confident when she was running for president. When she was on the campaign trail, she actually seemed more confident then, and she was actually better at interviews then than she is now. You think she expected to get picked as VP? Probably not in the beginning. Because you know... Apparently Biden had his sights on Whitmer. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then like, eh, well, well, you know, we got to fill out the color quota, so let's pick <laughs> I think he knew, I think Joe Biden knew that in order for him to really win, he was going to have to pick um, a woman of color. And he actually took that idea from Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders said that's what he was going to do. Dang. Yeah, he he knew he knew that's what he was going to have to do to um to really get like strong support from African Americans because that was that was the part where Hillary Clinton. There were a lot of people when the polls were done. There were a lot of black people that said they would come, they would support Hillary Clinton. But when it came time to vote, those numbers didn't didn't show up. Shit, I mean, they basically copied off of Howie with Angela. I mean, shit. Yep. And even Jill with a Jamo. 
So what I tell you guys, the Democratic Party's been copying and stealing things from the Green Party for years. Uh-huh. For years, peeps. Stealing the stealing the Green New Deal and then pissing on it and then burning it in a didn't give them any credit for it either. They didn't even credit them for it. Yeah. They come out with this. I mean, their their version of Green New Deal is half-assed. It's still pro. It's still pro-business and pro-capitalism. So you that that didn't do that doesn't do anything. But yeah, we we have a lot of problems in this goddamn country, and. Until we have real, like, until we stop having and the, until we stop having a weak-minded working class, mm. it's not going to change. Like, we can't have, we can't keep having a weak-minded working class that already feels like, you know, it feels like, you know, a self-defeating prophecy. That's a good point. That is a good point. But yeah, something needs to change. Like with immigration, like I said, like it's 2022. They haven't figured this out yet. First of all, the immigration process takes way too long in this country to begin with. Why do people have to be here for years before they even get their papers? And then you have to go through another process and another process. It shouldn't take people 10 years to become a United States citizen. I mean, the way the way I kind of look at that is like I. It's almost like you're trying to push them out by making it take so long. Like, you want to make them go, well, goddamn! Like, why am I doing all this shit for so long? So, in a way, it's it's a it's a fucked up version of a means test. You know, back in the day, like how as black folks, literacy tests were means tests too, when we weren't allowed to learn how to read. Like, how the hell? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, too. I mean, I know one of my former co-workers, she said it took 10 years. Damn. 10 years. There was another guy I interviewed last year. He was running for office in California. And Sylvester, that's his name. Yes, Sylvester. Sylvester. Ani. He, that was his big thing was immigration. And he was from his, his family was from Africa and he said it took like 12 to 14 years, which is unbelievable. That's insane. Yeah. That's part of the problem. But Eric, thank you so much. I want to go ahead to the uh, next caller. All right. All right. Andrew is up on the mic. Just have to unmute. Okay, um, someone mentioned the, um, Assange guy who, uh, infiltrated WikiLeaks, not, um, well, that was a bad, I'm tired, I'm sorry, mentioned how, uh, there was that kid from Iceland, do you remember that, Sabby, earlier? Yes, I, yes, who were they referring to? Yeah, there was a guy uh, from Iceland uh, that the FBI paid. He's a pedophile, and uh, what he did was he volunteered for WikiLeaks. Like, the FBI had him volunteer for WikiLeaks, 
And then while he was volunteering, he worked with a hacker who also uh, was apparently working for the FBI, but he didn't know that the hacker was also with the FBI. And uh, they pretty much just like got caught hacking um, under the name of WikiLeaks so that the FBI could prosecute WikiLeaks for hacking. And then like, uh, I think like a year ago, the, the pedophile like, like blew a nut and and told everybody. (laughs) So that was that. Um, yeah, anyways. Uh, so were you in the air force or, I mean, your, your family, your father, I'm just wondering, I thought you said something about that. They were in the military. The military, uh, like in the Air Force or the Army or? In the Army. In the Army. Okay. Do you know Fort Wainwright? I don't. Don't know of it? Okay. All right. Anyways. Okay. I thought you might know Fort Wainwright because that's uh, in the city that I'm from. But anyways. Um So uh, I was listening to the whole Jackson thing and Jackson, he's kind of doesn't, he's kind of just like a kid and he likes to try to like identify himself. He's going through this like identity phase, I think. And he, he, he uh, tries to label himself and label things and it, it doesn't sound very intelligent to me. And, uh, I think that that whole conversation seemed really unintelligent um, about uh, trying to define communism, MAGA communism, and uh, it was just ex- that was extremely painful for me to listen to. Um, the <laughs> Sorry, ben Andrew <laughs> Norton. Um, I think he said something about. MAGA, like blah blah blah. Like the thing is, I'm from Fairbanks, which is where the um, there's an Army base, Fort Wainwright, also an Air Force base, Ielsen Air Force Base. If you're military, a lot of people actually know that place. But um, there's a lot of uh, independents there and Republicans. And I volunteered in 2016 for Bernie. And is we, this uh, Alaska? Yeah, I'm from Fairbanks, Alaska. That's where I was from. Oh, okay. I've never been to Alaska. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm actually in Michigan now, right now. So it's crazy. I um, just moved here. But anyways, um, I was going to say, am I, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I'm just reading my notes right now that I was taking. Um, so yeah, I volunteered for Bernie in Fairbanks in 2016. So, you know, I engaged with a lot of independents, some Republicans and, uh, a lot of Republicans were willing to vote for Bernie, like genuinely wanted to vote for Bernie. And, uh, and a lot of people who supported Trump were between Bernie and Trump in Fairbanks. And, and they didn't like Hillary. 
And uh, so that was my experience with that. And, and what I've found is that um, a lot of people who support Trump remember like Benghazi, for example, like Benghazi was Trump's number one issue during the election against Hillary because he knew it was such a hot topic for people who are in the military or people who support the military because of what happened in the embassy in Benghazi where the Americans were killed and it seemed like a false flag operation and so on and so forth. And so, um, like from my experience with, uh, Trump supporters, um, that I know, and they were really quick to like, see that Bernie was a fraud. And I think that it was a red flag that Bernie wouldn't talk about Benghazi because like whenever they would bring up Benghazi to him during the 2016 election, he'd always say, oh, I've, we've talked enough about Benghazi. We don't need to talk about Benghazi. We don't have to talk about that. So he would ignore Benghazi, which, it, which at the time when I heard him say that, I didn't know what happened in Benghazi. And um, had I known, it would have been a clear red flag that Bernie was not who he was pretending to be because uh, that was a pretty big stunt that was pulled there. Um, do you remember when I called in and, and talked about that? Yeah, yeah, I do remember. Um, that actually doesn't surprise me, though, because Bernie Sanders, I have noticed there's certain topics that he will not really dive into or discuss. Um, I think, you know, he's still protecting certain people. And again, like I said, like he, he at the end of the day, he still goes along with the Democratic Party. So he knows which he knows what to touch and what not to touch. Like even when it comes to Julian Assange, he won't really talk about that either. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And and so like it seems like a lot of uh, Trump supporters are more willing to talk about, like say, Benghazi, like Trump was willing to talk about Benghazi and um, they're perhaps more willing to talk about Assange. And, uh, so I think that, that I, I think that in my experience, uh, it is a lot easier to get along with Trump supporters when talking about politics, because they'll remember things like Debbie Wasserman Schultz and how, uh, what she had done. And, and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally, uh, I think that Trump supporters are really um, allies to uh, to this whole our whole group. Like, because I I watch all the shows like uh, the RBN, Jackson, and uh, Jimmy, and uh, sometimes I'll you know reach out and watch some other shows, but those are the main ones, and. Uh, Actually, I mostly just watch RBN and Jimmy. <laughs> That's pretty much it. But, uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the, but I think that for, you know, what we, what we're looking at and where we're going, I think that like, if you look at say somebody like Nina Turner, who we used to really like a lot, we used to love Nina Turner and, uh, 
in the way that she's changed versus uh, somebody on the more Trump side of things, I think I could have an easier conversation with a Trump supporter than I'd have with Nina Turner at this point. So that's kind of my, because like, uh, See, that's, they, uh... went after, they went after Trump. So like, say like I, I walk around, used to, when I used to live in Boise and I'd walk around and I'd talk to people and uh, Trump supporters and they weren't happy with the FBI. They're not happy with the CIA. You know, I think they were wanting to abolish the FBI or something recently. And so I think that that's, you know, I think we're all on board for that. Yeah. I mean, you brought up an interesting point and other people have said this as well, that they have a harder time trying to talk to liberals than they do talking to people who are Trump supporters. You know, it, it, I think it says a lot, you know, and sometimes sometimes I think there's a, a element of classism that goes along with that, too. Yeah, I mean, like there was a so in Fairbanks, there's a lot of veterans. It's like Alaska, there's a lot of veterans. And so there was actually a guy from uh, who's there's a couple of Iraq veterans that I was uh, friends with when 2016. And one of them was a Hillary supporter which really blew my mind because she voted for the war in Iraq and uh, the other one wasn't, but the one who supported Hillary was much more difficult for me to talk to. Um, He mentioned that he enjoyed killing people when he was in Iraq, which was pretty rough to hear. Um, And then the other one was between Trump and Bernie and he would he really didn't like Hillary because he had you know had to do what he ever he did in Iraq so but uh they were both in the army and you know Iraq veterans totally different um politics but the Hillary supporter I could not really vibe with at all so mm. Yeah, I've had some of those uh, some of those same types of experiences, actually. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller, and that is Amanda. All right, Amanda, you are on the mic. Good evening, Sabrina. Can you hear me? I can, can hear you, you hear just me? great. Okay, good. <clears throat> um. Thank you. Um, I, if you, do you mind if I if I take a topic that's slightly um, off of your your show topic? It's timely. Sure, go ahead. So um, I I'm sure you're aware of the rail workers labor dispute that's been going on, and today was the um, last day of the cooling off period. And yesterday, the Biden administration, a committee that that the Biden administration put together to negotiate this thing, put together a deal to send to the unions. There's like 10 unions. Now, I'm telling you about this because there's a there's the the way the corporate media is explaining it. They're acting like this agreement has already been ratified by these 10 unions. It has not. Right. Right, it hasn't. And this it is, hasn't. 
And this is this is why I'm calling in. I've been so excited all day waiting for somebody to come on from RBN because you guys have a wider audience. I think this is the choke point that we might that we might be able to take advantage of if we can show solidarity and help the rail workers keep their keep their strike going to get what they need because this is the other thing. The in the West Coast, the port workers, 29 ports 22,000 workers, they're having high-stakes negotiations right now, and that's 40% of the U- U.S. import market comes through those ports. That yep. We're about to have two major choke points to capitalism if we can somehow get it together to find somebody to talk to the right person at the unions to figure out how we can turn this into a real general strike. And make a real change. I mean, Savvy, I'm so excited. All day I've seen this coming. And I'm like, when I saw the ports and you've got like tens of thousands of nurses out on strike in Minneapolis. And you've yep. got the, the mental health care workers that are now going to be going into their sixth week. I was down there at their picket lines today in front of Kaiser in Oakland. This is happening how can we capitalize on this and draw people together in a way to show the solidarity? Because this we, this is the opportunity to grab these choke points, I think. And, and I, I don't know how to capitalize on it, but I know that you guys in your circles have been talking about things like this for a long time. And it, maybe this is already a conversation that, that's already happening and I'm just late to the party. But it seems because this is the next two weeks is when they're going to be getting those agreements. And because the labor dispute is about working conditions, these guys work 350 days a year. They get 15 days off and they have to be on call those 15 days. It's ridiculous a guy got fired because he went to a doctor's appointment yep it's ridiculous the things that are going on so you can if there's anybody listening that wants to know more there's two recent recent podcasts that came out that are very good from a leftist perspective about what's happening with this from the labor side from the labor side one of them is called this machine kills and the other one is called, well, there's your problem. Mm. Search recent episodes of either one of those and you, and, and well, there's your problem. Here's, here's, here's the, the about for where well, there's your problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters and systemic failures from a leftist perspective with jokes. So. So I, I just, and, and this machine kills the most recent episode. The first, the first three and a half minutes is the, um, is the, the press release from the unions. So and I don't want to take up a lot of time because this is not on the topic of your show, but I, I really hope this is on people's radar. I hope there's already movement to try and get solidarity among all of these different union movements. Really interestingly, today when I was at the the um, National Union of Healthcare Workers picket line, I talked to a guy, and when I asked him about whether he got 
like in a union newsletter, did he get news about other strikes going on in other industries? And he said, you know, actually, I've heard that we have one of the best researchers of all the unions. We do get a lot of like daily reports on different unions that are going on strike and that are in labor disputes. So so that was really interesting to hear that that some some of these unions do have a better sense of what the other unions are doing. And so building coalitions, it may not be as difficult as as it might seem from the outside. And the last thing I'll say about this is that the um, when you re- read the articles from today about how this strike was averted and if this had happened, it would be two billion. You need to read that as that's what's going to happen. It's just not going to be right now. It's going to be two weeks from now. This is the time period when they're going to be looking. Those unions are going to look to ratify those agreements. And I don't think they're going to ratify. So let's yeah. give them support and let them not ratify. Let's give them the support so they can get something reasonable. Yes, absolutely. Please. Like if I would like to get in touch with someone from one of the rail workers and the ports that you just mentioned, because another thing that could happen from this as well, and this is why this is such a huge deal. If the rail uh, uh, road workers decide to go on strike, then a lot of that burden is going to be put onto the ports, like Amanda was saying, and also the truckers. Truckers are also a factor of bringing in goods and bringing in products. So then the truckers could say, oh, no, we're not picking up extra work. We're going to go on strike. Then you got the truckers. Then you have the railroad road workers. And then you could have the ports. And that's your that's general right. strike. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. This is what we were trying to tell people when we did the General Strike Summit last year. Just boycotting right. Amazon, just yes. striking Amazon, striking a Starbucks, that's all good. But that's not enough for a general strike. You have to shut down transportation. Yes. And that's and this is the opportunity. That's why I wanted to – I'm so glad I, I knew that you would get it. I'm going to put a link because I have a little – I had there's a, there's a little Discord server where I put the the links to those two podcasts I noted, plus um, some information from a Reuters article, some of the research that I did earlier today. I'll put that link in a message where where's the best place for me to send that so you get it. Um, I'll put my email address in the chat because that's okay. the okay. best place to send me stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the, I'll email you that Discord link. But it's the, it, this machine kills is 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 the best one for it's it's an hour and a half long, but you can listen to it double time. And really, the first four minutes gives you the the really straight up snippet of what the situation is. The rest of it is 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 embellishment that's extremely interesting, but includes the history of railroading since eighteen thirty. <laughs> It's fascinating. Wow. You know, the first railroad, actually, when it was opened in, in England, in the first day, it ran it ran over a politician, a Tory. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it obviously there's there's it's told with good humor. The, the story that's a very good um, Justin. I can't think of what his last name is, but um, anyway, I've taken up enough of your time off topic and. Thank you for the platform, and and I'm I I 
will email that to you, but also um, I, I stand I stand waiting orders because I'm ready to do what needs to be done. Thank you so much, Amanda. That's really, that's awesome news, you guys. That's awesome news. All right, I'm going to go to the next caller, and that is Sinway. You are on the mic. Hey, Savvy. Um, another call-in. I see. And let's see, I guess I want to talk about, well, first I want to talk about the um, the DeSantis busing migrant or flying migrants in, to Martha's Vineyard because I put it a few times in the chat about how this is not new. Um, it was already been brought up that, um, well, I can't, I already forgot the state, um, about the busing of homeless people to New Jersey. Oh, yeah. The governor, but, um, which sounds relatively recent, but the other one I recently learned, um, is this tactic was used during Jim Crow era, where, as response to the Freedom Riders, um, coming from north to the south, uh, the leaders of the South came up with the strategy of basically getting all the blacks, um, uh, paying for expenses to for them to get on the bus, to telling them pretty much the same thing as the DeSantis and Abbott told the migrants of, there's jobs waiting for you up in these northern states. And by the time uh, the blacks got there, well, they, of course, got duped. So, um... It's apparently um, not as well known um, as time went, like when time went on, this uh, strategy was almost forgotten, but it did happen. Like a decent number of families like were separated. Like when they arrived, like there's one family, they arrived in, um, I can't remember which of the states, but they, they she was basically separated from her family back in the South, uh, for example. But, um, it, uh, and JFK, uh, president at the time, he was questioned about this and, well, definitely caught him off guard and had m- not much of a response. So, but, but it also showed that they were relatively supported and the strategy ends up just back in the end it ended up backfiring on the on the whites who did this like they just yeah so that's um, an interesting thing and all not to and that's a little bit of history on this whole uh racist strategy also not to mention in i sent this to my and my local group about like how um, I saw on a Twitter post about how that this is illegal. Um, hang on, I'm I'm gonna see if I could pull it up real quick. All right, wait, it's a link. Let's see, here it is, Section twenty seven four a one a two of the Immigration Nationality Act makes it a federal crime to knowingly transport undocumented persons across state lines. Like, I, so Abbott and DeSantis, uh, Garland should be, like, getting at DeSantis and Abbott, but, well, nothing's happened. Up here. So just enough, like, 
they should have been arrested. So, any thoughts on what I just said for that first part? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I was wondering. Like, when I first heard about this happening, I was like, is that legal? Because technically, you knew that they were undocumented. And you transferred them across state lines. So, is that even legal? Yeah, it's... uh... Oh, interesting. And uh, the article, it, um, when I got to the end of the article, uh, Trump, I like Trump brought this up. It's like he said in one of the speeches about the idea of shipping migrants to sanctuary states, blue states, kind of thing. Of course, uh, surprisingly, it didn't fall through what, during Trump's presidency. But well, you know, these governors were inspired by Trump, so I guess this. So I guess they decided just, eh, let's go with this. Let's just enact the strategy already, apparently. So. Yeah, it's just, I I don't know. And and Mm -hmm. also, what if other people, what if other governors start doing this too? Yeah. uh, I wonder if this is like a form of cold civil war or something. Somebody else mentioned that earlier in the chat. Um on the stream someone else mentioned that is this some kind of civil war i don't know but it's like again i don't i just don't see how this is solving the problem i feel like it was just for political antics yeah definitely um what else was yeah and there should be a focus um in dealing with the issue because uh, my group uh, is called friends of latin america and i I need to look back up to see if there's, like, other chapters throughout the world. I'm pretty sure it's national. But they also seek to educate people about, like, uh, they're anti-imperialist and what the U.S. is doing. And I probably brought this up a long while back in the May calls back about military-industrial complex at the local level. Um, So I guess it's, I'm thinking... I've been thinking of strategies of, like, how to get people at, like, universities, tech places, especially states that are close to, you know, practically neighbors to D.C., to, like, strike, go on strike and protest against these organizations and companies that are supporting Lockheed Martin and all the weapons manufacturers to say enough of these empire games and whatnot i think that's a good idea there was a strike against raytheon here in cambridge massachusetts all right um was it on worker condi- working conditions or was it what raytheon was doing uh weapons uh manufacturing oh nice now, yeah i wonder if this uh railway strike is gonna lead to that getting that back up again i know like this Mm -hmm. is like this honestly could really be a game changer and here's another thing i want you guys to think about think about what would happen like if the railroad workers and the the port workers if both of them went on strike that would really pardon my language that would really be a kick in the nuts to the democratic party (laughs) 
it really would because has this happened before under any other president no not as far i mean at least not not in my lifetime right i mean that would be a major blow like how do you come back from that absolutely now um i saw in the discussion in this app about how uh eric asked about like what are the uh what the demands of the work of the railway workers are um I remember watching a few videos, like, like exp- such as like Union, oh, shoot, uh, more perfect Union, about like yeah. being able to use actually use your sick leave without you know uh, getting fired or in trouble for it. Um, co uh, co conducting, like have someone with you and not be the only person like conduct like like managing the train right or fixing the fixing things um i think those were the two major ones i know that oh yeah um keeping the health insurance instead of like moving yes keeping the health insurance and then also um the the pay they haven't received a raise in three years oh yeah oh yeah that That was another one now i remember yep Um, yep there was that one and then mm -hmm. I mean, I thought they were asking for the bare minimum, to be honest. I was like, you guys should be asking for so much more. Yeah, you don't deserves... realize how much power you have. Yeah. yeah, they deserve so much more than so much more. But I, it's it's going to take a while because the, the fight's really been beating out of a lot of people um, these ever since the late 60s. So I hope there's at least a few people in the work rail workers that are saying hey don't you see what we got let's demand more like i hope there's enough of them that encourages the others to like really demand more and yes mm-hmm. i hope so too i hope so too and i think that again mm-hmm. like all the attention they have right now like you better ask them for everything you can and Actually, if it makes it better, you already mentioned the truckers and the ships. That will make their um, demands, like the more demands thing, probably encourage them to do so. To make the more demands part, actually. Perhaps if they had more people behind them, perhaps they would get more confident to do that, perhaps. Yeah, but this is why I think other groups need to join with them. And, you know, we talked to, we did the General Strike Summit last year. There were a couple of labor um, unionized, or they were trying to unionize. Or actually, no, one of them was already part of union. But there were a bunch of, uh, a couple of um, union leaders that were on. One of them was Kellogg's. They remember oh, they yeah. won strike last year. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the questions we asked them is like, would you be interested in partnering with other um, other workers from other companies that are trying to go on strike too. And they were oh. like, yeah. All right. Yeah. So be- this is why like other people need to join them. So the truckers can join them. The port workers can join them. The airlines can join them. And then that's a wrap after that. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm. It, it almost happened with the, what, sanitation workers back then. Um, mm-hmm. Like that obviously got the governor's attention so it'd be like starting off from where that strike uh left off 
or kind of thing. So, <clears throat> yeah, I hope I'm gonna, I hope there's more coverage of what the workers are gonna do. Like, I was told that it takes time for the workers to, like, try and read this because, um, uh, the, the union representing the workers, the leadership, is like, yeah, well, yeah, this deal seems good, but, uh, what, like, but of course, like, the workers haven't, not enough of the workers have, were able to, like, really go over it and vote, so this, so I, wait and see, maybe, hopefully, next week, earliest, hopefully, I think Jordan Sheraton interviewed one of the railroad uh, workers I on saw. status quo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think um, they have to understand like that they do deserve more and not just them, but everybody here deserves more. Absolutely. Well, um, that's all I have to say. I'll uh, pass it off to someone else. Um, thank you for your time. Awesome. Thanks so much for calling in, Simway. Night. All right. We're bringing in Mitchell. You're on the mic. Just have to unmute. Oh, Mitchell might be having problems with the. Am I working? Okay. I hear you now. Oh, okay. It flashed away as soon as I, I came online. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I worked uh, a lot in manufacturing in the 90s, uh, even through the 2000s. But uh, most, the first 50 factories I had to move offshore were what most people would say American companies, but the actual owners were international and mostly like the wealthy people of Europe. And also many were the wealthy people of Asia. Uh, and so a lot of the things that are happening aren't just the United States that's happening. And it needs to be uh, more of a universal thing. So they're only looking at the United States and they're not saying what the other companies are or other countries are, are put into it. So, uh, again, like I said, uh, I worked for one company that had actually USA in its name. And it was owned by basically the really wealthy people of England. And uh, of the, all of the companies that take um, take money for politics, uh, that that crowd is supposed to be non-political. Uh, we're the uh, companies uh, that were the most unethical players uh, on making donations. You know, you had to work where you could work back in the '90s. But the uh, next thing is on the immigration. So I got to see the both sides of it. Uh, working in in here and going over to uh, factories uh, in Mexico and other places. And uh, um, true, the people in Mexico, uh, if you're poor, you're treated, uh, you're treated really poor. I mean, like uh, they call it, call them campesinos. And uh, it is not, not a comfortable way for people to work or be treated. So that, that is one aspect of coming here and not, all people in all the areas of Mexico are treated the same. So uh, if we tried to, my boss was, his mother was actually Spanish. So he had a Spanish accent and they found that very, very offensive that he spoke with a Spanish accent when we were down there. Uh, but the, uh, uh, 
people just don't realize how much of what we're doing is by people that are being influenced by people from other countries as well. So not all of our bad players are the government, it's the companies themselves. So I can say it that way. Uh, then uh, we had one thing where one spoiled apple makes a whole bunch look bad. There was a lot of people that would bring uh, people into the United States for health insurance fraud. So if like 1% of the ones that I encountered were for, so you'd see one person get an injury and it was probably a legitimate injury in, in the past, but they would turn up at place after place after place. And they might have 20 or 25 different places they worked for that they actually didn't have to show up for work because they had an injury. And the doctor would get a payment for uh, keeping up saying that they were having to go for treatment, but they would, they would be collecting a large amount of money. So for every 99 really, really hard workers, you'd have these people that were basically uh, uh, fraud mills. And we have to stop treating it all like all of the people are exactly the same. So we have different reasons people are coming from different areas and, uh, you know, treating them as humans. Also, I expect that, you know, within the next year, uh, they'll, they'll probably stop transporting them to the different cities uh, and we'll probably start transporting them for um, processing offshore. So like we might pick a country that people don't like and actually start putting them there. And I don't think that's legal. Uh, personally, uh, right now, when when Biden himself is taking people and transporting them from Texas to Chicago, uh, that's probably what's established the content of, well, now it's legal to move people to other states. So when, oh. when the feds were starting to move them themselves, that basically, I, I don't know that made that legal because I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a legal mind, but uh, you know, it was a big bother for me of things I, I'd worked for. And of course, you know, when the, back to the the thing of the insurance fraud once a factory uh hears of this the major people upstairs start to think that everybody in the factory is uh one other point i got a slightly difference uh back in february if you remember uh john deere was on strike it's a major tractor manufacturer in yep. uh, in iowa uh so after all that was done after they got all their deals they decided to shut down the factories. They're moving them to Mexico. So right what? now, most of the factories, most of that work is now being shut down and moved away. So the company gave them an, what they thought was an easy win and basically they all lost. So oh. right now, without the government support, without the government saying, I support people, not, not, not the industries, the, there is no support for somebody going on strike. Uh, we are in a free-for-all. It's just like an old Western movie. It's We don't have any rights at all, uh, what's going on. And uh, uh, it's it's frightening. Every company I see that goes on strike, it seems like it goes okay. And I uh, had family that worked in the railroad back when there was a, uh, a deal that was cut for the brakemen. When they decided they didn't want brakemen anymore, everybody was going to be a conductor or an engineer. So they made a deal that it's not legal to strike for a while. So, and then uh, they actually paid a bunch of people to quit 
and then they thought that they could be rehired, but then they were actually uh, out of that job for life. So um, a lot of a lot of the deals that seem like they happen do not come through very well. And with the unions right now, a lot of the union people it's, it's, uh, are basically um, somebody presents opportunities such as we'll give you a new house or whatever. Uh, and we want you to guide your union members to do this. It's very easy mm-hmm. to buy out a lot of people, uh, not all people, but uh, just a few uh, people just need to be bought out and basically undo everything the union does. So back in the 30s, the entire country would get together, support the unions, everybody. I mean, like if one union put up a sign all of the other unions would strike as well. If you, you basically, they saw a, a strike sign, it wouldn't be just the nurses. It would be like everybody attached to the nurses that use that building would say, oh, my union's going to honor that. And uh, without honoring the other people's uh, um, strikes, it, it really doesn't have any force. So we're going to be hit mm-hmm. with probably the thing that we had hit before where we are what 16 days away maybe maybe so from being unable to ship food in the united states uh we have some major food deficiencies we might not even be able to make ketchup next year and uh we're having a problem with wheat so in the past it's been illegal for for iowans to grow uh like soybean and what they call winter wheat so uh with the with the drought in hitting all the way into Kansas, Iowans are now being encouraged next year to grow winter wheat. To, to me, that's like saying, what kind of emergency is it that they threw over through these laws that they're going to allow Iowans to grow winter wheat? Uh, have you noticed the price of bread? <laughs> so I, haven't bought, have... I haven't bought bread in a while, uh, Mitchell, to be honest with you. How much it costs? Well, uh, it might be three dollars a loaf now. <laughs> I won't mean, be buying it still. <laughs> yeah, but you know these people. I mean, me too. Uh, buying a loaf of bread, you know, maybe, maybe fifteen years ago, I wouldn't expect to pay more than a buck fifty for a loaf of bread. And uh, so we're we're talking. I'm, of course, I'm in Iowa, so my prices might be lower than somebody out out, out in the east. Also, um, how people are treated um in the in your really big states are different than they're treated out here we have areas out here where large numbers of uh people um when we say illegal are brought in to uh take care of all of the meat production uh and basically it's to keep the prices very very low that doesn't mean that the prices we get charged are going to be low but the amount of pay is very, very low. And uh, we had one case where um, if, if it becomes well known that they have uh, people that are undocumented working, they'll come in and remove them all. So we had like 600 families where their kids were at school. They came in during the day and took their parents. Uh, you know, So they had to suddenly at the end of school figure out what they were going to do as soon as they heard about these raids. All of their children, uh, you know, or there was no system set up for all of a sudden they have that many children out. So we have a lot of things where we say we want to do something, 
but we haven't really thought about what kind of in infrastructure uh, do we need to have ready for if they do these actions. And we're still talking about whether we should do the action and have no, no preparations at all of the fact that uh, operations are going on right now and um, kids got to eat. And the last thing you want to do is send somebody home after they haven't been fed in the United States. They're going to hate the United States forever. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we have to be thinking in the long term of what we're doing. And we have we have countries that are running out of water in different areas. Um, uh oh. Mitchell, what happened? I don't know what happened. Um, hello. I know what happened. My phone company. You got me back. Yeah, I got you back. I thought it was me. <laughs> no, I've been talking, and my phone decided. Well, I haven't been touched on my screen for a while. <laughs> I don't know when it shut me off, but uh, so uh, I. Like I said, uh, all these differences, we, we we have to be thinking about people and we're not really thinking about the after effects of the devastating things that ha happening to the people. And we're not asking our politicians what we're doing. We're saying, are we, are we gonna do this, this? We have uh, Europe right now, uh, countries in Sweden are thinking of now removing the refugees that they accepted. So yep, we're I heard about large that. areas that are, are saying, okay, uh, you know, a lot of the areas sent only the boys, they didn't send girls. Uh, and so uh, suddenly there's all this case where we brought in, then all these boys are now uh, being boys and suddenly there's a lot of crime in the area. And they're getting fed up and they're saying, okay, it's done. Uh, I, I don't know everything about it. So I'm sorry, I haven't gone, gone through all the news. But uh, as the ability to um, go to Europe dies off, you know, we could see 200 to 300 million people needing to leave India in the next 10 years. Are they all mm -hmm. going to come here? Are, are we ready for that? And uh, so like for, for right now, I also currently work at a school. Yeah, I, I teach. <laughs> and uh, most of our students that are black are not from the United States. They're actually from Africa. So they're, they're people that recently got here and come in uh, uh, as a student. The number of actual people with Americans with African ancestry here is really, really small. And we should be taking that as frightening because I don't see the escalator coming up to bring people. So why should we I, why should we see that as why should we see that as frightening? Well, look, I mean, the, uh, the town I live in in Iowa or I work in in Iowa is one of the most populous black parts of, of Iowa. And I should see like at least 20 percent of our students from that area. And I don't. It's like not there. You mean like college? Yeah. Well, but that, but that's, but the thing is, the majority of African Americans aren't attending college, though. Yeah, that's that's I, the I mean, thing. I, I, 
I don't see, I mean, but I do see it as some should be going. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's uh, true. That's true. And, uh, you know, I mean, not a hundred percent of all of the non-blacks go to school. So, but I should be seeing a more representative sample, especially in this town. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, we have seen a decrease ever since, you know, the past, I can tell you from, I mean, I stopped working in higher ed in January of this year, but I can tell you, we did start to see a decrease the past mm, three and a half years. And it was because, again, people don't want to take out student loans. Like people are terrified of having student loan debt. So that's been a big problem. And there's been higher ed alternative schools that people are going to because it's cheaper and they can get their degree faster. So that's another thing we've actually, for people who want to go into like software engineering or any type of tech field, we've lost people to schools like General Assembly and Launch Academy, because honestly, it kind of makes sense. Like, why do you need to come to Boston University for four years and take a bunch of classes that have absolutely nothing to do with what you want to do when you can just focus on your core classes that you need to get your degree and it's cheaper. Yeah. And, you know? uh, there's not a lot of promise of jobs afterwards. That's a, a major point for us too, is yeah. a lot of times for the, we, we're lucky enough that our, our students tend to get really good jobs. But uh, if we went very far away from here, a lot of the students that are going to school aren't finding available jobs. Nope. So we're probably lucky that we're kind of in a, a, a another high-tech cor corridor. Um, you know, like there's the uh, Silicon Valley out in California. This is like the Cornfield Valley. <laughs> we, we're <laughs> extremely high-tech high area. Uh, this is the area where computers were invented. So um, people don't realize the the tech that comes out of Iowa, and uh, so um, when I, I I should let your next caller go because <laughs> it's probably getting late for you. But thanks for letting me talk. Thanks so much, Mitchell. Uh, that was very insightful. I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, Brady, and then um, Karthik will be the final caller, you guys. But I'll go ahead, Brady. Sorry keep it real concise and quick and just wanted to make sure that you're connected with all of the green party uh lady candidates for governor um they were just having a meeting on twitter space and i tried to combine the parties and invite them over here i think it's a little too late but just want to make sure you're connected with all of them i thought it'd be really fun if you had a show with all these amazing candidates for green party who are just going as writing candidates and all this kind of stuff and i thought y'all would have a really cool conversation together. Just want to make sure y'all are connected. And then wanted to float the idea of changing up the DBS movement. Y'all might be familiar with divest, boycott, and sanctions. This is a protest movement they used for um, Israel in Palestine. Yeah. And it's actually illegal in Texas. You can lose your job if you have a government job, if you're a teacher, anything like that. You can lose that job for protesting um, Israel in any way. And so as an alternative to that, I invented the DBS movement, which is divest, boycott, sanction, and de-bullshit. And it's basically the same thing, just with different letters, and it makes it um, so that you can essentially kill two birds with one stone and not get fired in Texas. Um, 
that's one creative way to kind of get around those um, protest blocks. And I'm going to pass the mic to Karthik. Thank you, Savvy. Great work. Um, thank you so much for that, Brady. I actually just saw this Twitter. I was just tagged in something um, on Twitter, and I think those are the green ladies. Yeah, I'll check. I'll check them out. Um, and then um, we're going to go to Karthik. Karthik, I'm putting you on the mic. Hey, Savvy, what's up? Um, so I had a question that I'm pretty sure is kind of different um, from what other callers have talked about. I just had a question about education. Um, uh, did you hear, because I know you used to work in education, did you hear about the um, uh, story in uh, Minnesota, the, the Minnesota School District, where I think starting next year they're going to, because of school, because of uh, uh, short, shortages in kids uh, uh, enrolling, they're going to be firing um, white teachers because historically um, they were uh, had a, a, a racial, uh, I'm sorry, racist uh, hiring practice of not hiring black teachers. I didn't hear uh, about that latter part, or excuse me, the first part, but I did know that they had uh, issues with not hiring black teachers. I did know about that. Okay, so what's happening is, I believe, starting next year, so fall 23, um, because of their historical race racist practice of not hiring teachers of color, they're going to try to, like, I guess, um, I don't know the best word, they're going to try to correct that by firing white teachers. And obviously it's going to, some like, the district is going to get sued, obviously. Um, but I don't know how <laughs> that makes things better, because, like, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Like, you can't fire people based on race or higher based on race <laughs> so they're just gonna sure, fire but... people this is yeah wow yeah. so instead of like doing layoffs based on seniority they're gonna do it based on race you guys the education the education system in this country is run by a bunch of clowns like i who comes up with this who makes up these rules it doesn't make any sense yeah, I think like the school district and like the kids are like I think like forty or almost forty percent uh, uh, students of color, but the teachers are only like seven or eight percent or something. So obviously it's not very representative, and they're doing this just I guess in name of diversity because they're saying that um, if a kid has uh, like a black kid has a teacher that looks like him, you know, it's also a black or non-white for other kids, then it'll help him learn better. And I get that, but I, I'm just saying that we should like hire more teachers, like have smaller class sizes. Right. But right. I don't they're know just how, how to this be, is gonna help anybody. They're trying to be cheap. The right thing to do is to hire more teachers, and like you said, have smaller classroom sizes. That's all they have to do. Yeah, because like, like, oh. Yeah. Let me just go in and let's go in there and let's fire white teachers. I'm like, what? And then what happens to them? Yeah. And like, apparently like this was decided by the uh, teachers union. Obviously like I support unions a lot, but like, this is horrible. And like, I'm guessing because most like the 90 plus percent of the teachers are white. I'm guessing mostly the union is also white. And I'm guessing like their jobs are completely safe. Um, Obviously like the people that decided this. And, like, because I, I know, like, some, like, in parts of the country, like, education is, like, getting heated because, like, some people don't like critical race theory. Some people want it. And I just, like, feel like this is going to make, like, like racial tensions worse. Oh, my God. 
Listen, I've heard some stories about Minnesota, but I have a friend from Duluth, Minnesota. I didn't yeah, even know where that was. Yeah, I didn't even know where that was. The only thing I knew about Minnesota was Minneapolis, Mall of America, and Prince. And that was it. And so I, I have a friend who's from Duluth, Minnesota, and um, he's, to- he's told me some crazy stories about Minnesota. But it's just like, but the thing is, it's not just Minnesota. Like, the education system in this country is a disaster. It's terrible. Like, I think there needs to be a complete overhaul of the public education system in this country. And again, I do think smaller classroom sizes are better. Um, studies do show that kids students perform better in a smaller classroom size. Like it's yeah, we were all school ones. Yeah, because you you get more individual attention from the teacher. So if you have a question and you raise your hand and it's a smaller class size, most of the time they'll be able to answer that question. But if you have a, a classroom of like 30 students compared to a classroom of 15 students, you can see the difference performance-wise with the grades. So it's just... They're so cheap. They're so freaking cheap. Just hire more people and make the class sizes smaller. That solves your problem. Yeah, like I I know in Finland, like they have like two or three teachers per classroom. Obviously, I would love to do that. And like in this um, district, I think like the average class size is 30. And like I thought like a good way to like find a reason to hire more teachers is just like cut it in half or cut it down to 20 teachers a room. You know what's interesting too? Like, have you talked to, have you ever called into, oh, that's right. Steph's not on, um, Steph's not on call in for Jimmy Dore show. No, no, she's not. But um, I, I watch the show all the time. I've got like his pictures in my profile. Because uh... me and her, we've talked about the teacher thing before. We did like a, a panel on RBN and we were talking about public education in the country. And um, she used to be a teacher as well. Yeah. And she was talking about, like, people will tell you, if you talk to people who are teachers, they will tell you, like, classroom size, like, can make all the difference. So it's like, <sighs> I, I I don't understand it. I, I don't know why they try to make things so much difficult. But I, I think that teachers already have enough to worry about. A lot of times teachers have to pay for their own supplies. For people who are not aware of that, by the way. Teachers have to pay for their classroom yeah, supplies. Yeah, I know. I, I, I used to yeah. work in special ed as, like, an assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I remember. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I feel like this is just going to make, you know, make people hate teachers or education worse, especially because this was, like, this deal was done by the union, so it, like, pushes that negative stereotype of, like, how unions are greedy or whatever, or they, like, just want, I don't know, more money. You know, what, whatever the stereotypes are, just make this worse. Yeah, it's just so weird. It's just so weird. But I don't know. Hopefully they figure that issue out. But I don't know, man. If I go to Minnesota, I'll just be going to Minneapolis and I'll go visit Prince's house and take some pictures and come back home. Yeah, this is almost like reverse racism because racists are saying like, oh, like a kid's like like a like a kid's journey in life is like depends on like the color of his the color of his skin. But now, like the non-racists are saying that, like, uh, a kid, like it depends on like the teacher's color. I feel like it's definitely about skin color somewhere. And like this exactly. is just making like a parody, and it's like it's like we're trying to like make people hate school education and teachers more, and there's like no need for that. 
That's true. Like people should like want to be teachers because I know in Finland they have like a good structure. I actually did a project about Finland schools a long time ago, and it's just like I feel like we're just like decaying and decaying, or maybe we'll just get to uh, a, a nuclear war soon. And everything. Well, I like the fact that they don't have homework in Finland. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no need for busy work. Yeah, but because uh, because part of me wants to be a teacher still. But it's just like such a mess everywhere. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Like, and people are leaving teaching profession. Oh yeah, teachers are quitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess one good thing about that is like I know some school districts are offer, offering bonuses, but yeah, yeah that's but that's yeah whatever. Um, it's just horrible everywhere. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Karthik, thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, it's always fun talking to you. All right. Roger Meadow, Roger Meadows, you're my final call of the night. All right, um, I'm gonna make this quick because you gotta go, and I'm driving. Well, I'm parking right now. Um, so I just wanted to address what you said before about um, the what is it? No one, no, Americans are not taking those jobs, so that's why they have um, uh, uh, migrant workers work. But you have to take a look at why no one is taking those jobs. Those jobs are terrible. Um, a lot of times what you'll see is if those jobs actually, so it's kind of like, just like how, for instance, workers will strike, um, workers will strike to use it as leverage to get more from their job. And then those bosses get around it by, um, hiring, I think they call scabs to, to get people to work um, so that they don't have to pay them or whatever the case is or, or, or deal with it or whatever. I see the same thing with this, where a lot of those jobs, you know, would actually most likely go to a lot of uh, Black Americans. You see what I'm saying? Because the only reason why we won't take them is because we know what it's like to be taken advantage of at the job and we're like we're not going to take those jobs so it's just like what i was telling you before about before the recent law in new york state passed where you had to work over 60 hours before you got paid overtime and now that that law passed where you know you have to pay them overtime um after 40 hours, which doesn't fully go into effect until 2032, but ticks down four hours every two years until 2032. Um, it's kind of like the same thing there. You know, now the farmers are, are you know, bitching and moaning about, oh, I got to give these certain benefits and so on and so forth. But what black person, you know, would, would take a job like that? You know what I'm saying? After knowing our history in this country of being taken advantage of, you know, for, for so many, uh, uh, for, for so many years, you see what I'm saying? So what happens is they will, they'll skate labor laws and it's really the bosses you got to go after. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, definitely it's the coups. It's the government doing coups in Latin America that's exacerbating it. But even like, even aside from that, it's also bosses that are skating labor laws that are like, you know, oh, um, I don't want to have to, you know, to get around uh, workers mostly because like I, I believe those jobs, those low level jobs would most likely go to us if that wasn't 
you know what I'm saying, if they weren't skating labor laws, because those were jobs that our parents or grandparents used to hold. You see what I'm saying? But I think that if like, you know, like uh, I'm not I'm not advocating for for, you know, kicking people out the country or whatever the case is. But when it was said that, well, if they deported everybody, they would have they would have nobody. I think that would force bosses to up, you know, benefits, up pay, up all of that, because then they would have no choice. It's kind of like what you were saying. It's like, you know, it's kind of like a strike. You know what I'm saying? You're forcing you're forcing their hand to, you know, like, OK, I'm going to have to offer this now. Kind of like if you had a government jobs guarantee that paid like starting at forty five dollars an hour or more, it would force everyone else to raise their wages. You know, it, it's you know, it would be kind of like that, you know, the, the way I see it. Um, also, I just want to address what Simwa said about putting people putting our uh, uh, parents' generation or our grandparents' generations on buses and and sending them up, up north. Um, that's new to me because from what I know from my history, we were ran out the South. It was just like, if, I mean, if there was buses involved, it was just like, yeah, you have a choice. Either get on that bus or we're going to kill you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, yeah, there's jobs up there or whatever the case is, but a lot of times we were just ran out the South. A lot of us came up here on our own because we had our land taken away from us. You know, we had our wealth taken away from us and all of that, you know, so I don't know about them, you know, these, these, you know, uh, uh, I'll be nice. These uh, politicians in the South saying, oh, yeah, there's there's an opportunity up north. Um put you on a bus and, and go up there because there's nothing here for you. It, it was more or less, we were fleeing terror. You know what right. I mean? But that's, you know, that, but, you know that's, that's pretty much um, I guess all I wanted to say, uh, whatever the case is. Thanks so much, Roger. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I see cases here. Um, I wanted to give uh, case that case speak before um, I close out, but I did want to say, remember during the Great Migration, when people moved from the South, when Black people moved from the South up North, they were going up there for those factory jobs, those union jobs. And even then, the Black union workers were paid less than the white union workers. So that a little bit of a tidbit of history for people who may not be aware of that. In fact, if you read um, if you read Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, she actually dedicates like a whole chapter to that to that discussion about what her parents went through. They were part of that great migration. And she talks about how her dad like worked every day, like it never took a day off. Um, so worked all the time. But she said that what a lot of people didn't realize is that the black union workers were making less than the white union workers, even though they still had the same jobs. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. I'm, um, yeah, thank you so much for bringing me on. I'm going to talk real quick. I know you're wrapping up the show. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, again, great job on um, Rising. I know uh, Bree said that she's going to have you on with other people, I think, on her channel. So I'm looking forward to that. And I, I love the fact that, you know, um, everybody's kind of working together. And I think calling is where the revolution is going to, to, to really happen. And um, they messed around, boy. They messed around and, and gave us a key to the blueprint by not paying or not allowing 
these real workers to have proper vacation, proper time off. I, I personally didn't know that that um, that is a way we can have a general strike. We can have these real real workers, which in actuality, if they were smart, they would be paying them like $50 an hour. They would be giving them three months off. They would be making making sure they're good, but they're doing the exact opposite. And if, if we can find a way, I, I was thinking about this, if we could have, like, let's say we had 20, raise uh, $20 million for a strike fund. And we said, we, we said, we went to the unions of the railroad workers and said, hey, we're going to make a deal with you. We're going to uh, give you, allow you to have access to this $20 million, but here's the deal. You have to, instead of just asking for, you know, two weeks off and sick pay, sick leave, uh, and a couple of things, we want you to ask for Medicare for all, universal basic income. Demand, not ask. Yeah, demand. Yeah. Like, yeah, words are important. Stop with <laughs> there this. You go, Roger. There you go, Roger. So demand <laughs> for UBI. Medicare for all, um, universal child care, and, and, you know, have a robust, healthy, progressive agenda that is not only going to benefit them, but will benefit all. And that's how you get everybody on board. You know, when the, the shelves go bare and they're blaming the railroad workers, they could, the railroad worker will have a uh, spokesperson, you know, hopefully they'll hire Sabi or Bree to go on TV and, and say, hey, you know, this we're doing this for everybody. And we're demanding this from our government. We're demanding this from the capitalists. And we're not budging. And, and I think that yep. if we could raise that amount of money, um, that's the way to do a general strike. Thank you so much, Sabs, for having me on. That's and awesome. Demand, Thanks, Case. Yeah, that's demand, one of the demand. things that... Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. Um. That's one of the things that, you know, when we had that general strike summit at RBN, that's why we had that summit. Because it, it just, at this point, we're just like, listen, <laughs> this is the next step. We're not asking for politicians to try to do stuff for us anymore. We're, we're taking it to the next level. We need a general strike. And that's something we don't need politicians for, right? So I think mm -hmm. that, yeah, you shut down transportation in case I was telling them earlier, if the truckers were to join the railroad workers... If the port workers join them too, boom, that's your general strike. I just remembered uh, something. Yeah, I agree with that totally. We got to We have to have a, a like a. If we could get a coalition of all the independent media, and I'm just this is just me throwing out ideas. I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody, but like imagine if we were all under one coalition umbrella, Brianna Joy Gray, RBN, Savvy Savs, along with all the other people, and then we said, hey, we're gonna raise this amount of money, put it in a pot. And it's a strike fund for the real workers. And what else, who else you said, Sabi? The um, bus and the truckers? Um, the else? truckers and the, and the ports. And the ports. And then you add nurses and teachers to that. I mean, come yep. on. Come on. Guys, <laughs> this, is, this is exactly what they did in Panama, you guys. If you haven't seen that video where I talked about the Panama uh, strike, that's what they did. They started with the teachers first. The teachers was like, look, we're not doing this anymore. And then other other uh, professions joined on board. And the next thing you know, people were like, well, we want social justice, too. That's what they did. That's how it was able to build the way that it did. So people got to, like, start partnering up. Like, I would like to see Amazon and Starbucks. Those workers need to join hands. I just remembered something. Um, this is how dangerous 
to capitalism a railroad strike is. We used to have railroad... Oh, check out the, uh, Max Alvarez interview this guy from that's, that's striking on the railway. But he explained that we used to have railroad strikes in this country all the time. He said we had it in the two times in the 1800s and like in 1924 until eventually they, the federal government passed a law that would make it hard or harder to have a railroad strike. There, there had to be some, some obstacles that she had to go through because they saw mm -hmm. just how much it wrecked the economy and you know so on and so forth. So um, you might want to look at that Max Alvarez video from Real News Network when he was interviewing a guy. Also, here's something else you could uh, demand, and I don't know why no one ever thought of, but you know, just like how you get a Christmas bonus, you get that extra check to go shopping for your people, you know, Christmas shopping or whatever. Okay, how come no one ever thought of the same thing as a vacation bonus? Getting paid vacation that's just the same check that I was going to use to pay bills on, whether I worked yep. or not. I don't have any extra money to spend if I decide to go to Disney World, if I decide to go to another country, if I decide to, I don't know, go to Las Vegas. You see what I'm saying? So that five weeks vacation time, you know, vacation bonus, $1,000 extra a week besides your regular paid vacation. You know, you got to, you have to ask, you know, sorry, you got to demand for the, for the, uh, for the sky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because here's, here's the thing I want people to understand. If Starbucks workers go on strike, okay. Amazon workers go on strike. Okay. Those are jobs that they can always bring in people from the outside to come in and do those jobs. They can bring in people. I, I worked at Starbucks when I was in college. Like, it's not a difficult job to do. They can bring in people to do those jobs. However, the railroad workers, uh, that's not that easy. Like, that takes time to learn. Like, I mean, it's not something you just learn overnight. So that's a little bit different than you get the airlines on board because the airlines are like, well, we're not going to be using our planes to ship goods and, and, and products and things like that. You're not putting that extra weight on us. We're going on strike too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. there you go. I love it. I love it. But much love to y'all. I'm going to jump out now and uh, keep up the great work, everybody. Nice job on uh, Rising. I forgot to thanks so much thanks so much thanks so much roger and thanks case and and definitely you know shout out to brie for that because um yeah i mean like we we've kind of been closed out of those spaces like by we i mean like rbn we've been closed out of those spaces and i think that you know now with ryan Grimm uh leaving I think now there's a little bit more leeway for the for some of the other hosts to bring on other people. And I think that that'll make a big difference. I really do. But guys, happy Friday okay. and have a have a good weekend, guys. And thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight. All righty. Bye. Bye.